listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If it were sweeps month at Civil War Talk Radio, we would fill the airwaves with stories of celebrities, sex, or both. It's not, but we'll do so anyway today, as we talk with an author who has covered both topics. He has written House of Abraham, Lincoln, and the Todds, a family divided by war, and All That Makes a Man, Love and Ambition in the Civil War South. He is Stephen W. Barry II, and he'll join us in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Marissa, are you ready yet? I know you can hear me. You are not missing school again. Marissa! You trying to be a nobody or something? Let's go! Alright then. Hit it. I know you can hear this. Hey guys, move closer. Hey, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drop out. A real friend can make all the difference. Cut that noise, yo! I'm coming! Took you long enough. Thanks for the help, guys. For more ways to help, go to OperationGraduation.com. A public service message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you in February 2008 on a rainy, gray Friday afternoon here in Greenville, North Carolina, home of East Carolina University, the Pirates, one of only two schools with Pirates for a mascot. What is the other one? It's Seton Hall. Home of the Pirates and East Carolina University, which supplies the office I'm speaking to you from, and the telephone, and the computer on which I write questions, but not sponsoring the show or otherwise being responsible for any of its content. Uh, it's all all mine, mine, I tell you, uh, and the guests, and uh, the overlords of Motivox Radio who are supplying the, the uh, technical know-how to get this show out to you. In regard to that, uh, as a few people asked me, uh, uh, over the past week or so, I want to assure everyone that Civil War Talk Radio will continue. It will continue to go on in one form or another. Um, there is some question exactly where it will go on, but there is no question there will be a Civil War Talk Radio uh, through the rest of the academic year. We may take a week off here and there, uh, as always, due to travel or academic requirements or something or other. 
but uh, the show must go on, and I look forward to many more uh, interesting conversations with interesting people, and hope you can continue to join uh, join me for that, uh, hopefully at this website. But if not, uh, keep Googling Civil War Talk Radio, and we'll find each other somewhere uh, somewhere in the ether. Well, this week, uh, we didn't do a, sh- a live show last week. Uh, I was off on the road uh, promoting Did Lincoln Own Slaves and Other Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham Lincoln, which was published in January. And uh, as, as you would know, if you, if you heard the last live show two weeks ago, it was me uh, interviewing me about my own book. Even I got tired of my own voice uh, uh, doing that, but I, I appreciate those who stuck with it. And I do hope you will get a chance to take a look at the book, uh, ideally buying multiple copies for yourself and family members, but uh, if you get it from a library or borrow a friend's copy or do whatever you need to do, uh, take a look and let me know what you think. Uh, Send your comments and questions. uh, uh, Send them to me here at East Carolina, and I'm always happy to to talk Lincoln with people and hear what what you have to say and share my thoughts with you. The uh, world tour continues. I will be uh, talking about did Lincoln own slaves and answering questions live uh, at different places coming up on February 6th at Quail Ridge Books in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then on February 20th at the Regulator Bookshop in Durham, North Carolina. That was rescheduled from January 30th. And uh, then at March 5th at the Barnes & Noble in Greenville, North Carolina, my hometown, where they resisted stoutly uh, having a a book signing because too many past book signings apparently had been unsuccessful as my colleagues in obscure departments like geographical sciences or something come up with a a monograph of interest only to their immediate family. Not even that. I'm not sure my wife has actually read my first book, so I shouldn't say anything about that. But uh, you have a book signing and you show up and uh, they set out a dozen chairs, but only two of them are taken. You do a reading for two people. They're too embarrassed not to buy the book. Uh, it, 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 nobody's happy at an event like that. You don't want that to happen. So they didn't want to do a book signing here locally unless uh, it wouldn't be embarrassing. And when I queried them on the threshold of embarrassment, they said, oh, 25 people. So uh, 25 of you need to make your way to Greenville, North Carolina, on March 5th. It's a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. to fill the chairs at Barnes & Noble. There's also, of course, the members of my department here. Since I'm the acting chair, I get to determine their salaries for the next year. So that'll put all their seats in the chairs if they know it's good for them. And then there's my students, but I've only got one class. I can certainly threaten to uh, grade them unfairly if they don't show up. And there's my daughter's soccer team that I coach. Um, If those girls want to get off the bench, they'll see that their parents are at the book signing. So there's really lots of abuses of power open to me here to make sure I get my my 25 quota. Um, But I'd rather do it the honest way uh, and and invite uh, people who actually want to hear something about Lincoln. So come by if you're anywhere in the eastern, uh, anywhere in the western hemisphere. Come by Greenville, North Carolina on March 5th at 7 o'clock and we'll we'll talk about Abraham Lincoln. Well, this past week, uh, I had the opportunity to do some presentations and actually did meet some uh, Civil War Talk Radio listeners in different places, which was very pleasant. Uh, 
uh, in Chicago, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in Gross Point, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and enjoyed those conversations and the chance to see old friends and family at at each of those places. The uh, the routine, however, was was uh, exhausting. It's not. You know, there's no tour bus, there's no groupies. It's not like like really being on the road, uh, just uh, me in a rental car. But it it does get tiring, and uh, it 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 led to good and bad for Civil War talk radio. Um, the bad being there was no time to read this week's book, or two books, I should say. And I would say that's extra bad because uh, from a quick glance through them, uh, they look wonderful, and I know something about one of the books. Uh, as I'll explain in a moment. The good was that uh, it provided us with our, our guest for this week. Uh, while at the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago on, uh, what was it, January 26th, uh, doing a virtual book signing, uh, my partner for that event was Stephen Barry, our author today. And uh, he, he brought up Civil War Talk Radio, and we got to discussing it, and one thing led to another, and I said, here would be an ideal guest for the show. So, uh, Stephen, are you with us? I am indeed. Wonderful. I hear you're not feeling so well this week. Yes, I'm afraid I'm recovering uh, from the mother of all flus. Uh, well, it, it's we're, we're hundreds of miles apart, so I'm safe from your infection. You, yes, and your listeners are as well, and it's the wonder of talk radio. It, I, think, I think this might have been the flu that depopulated the Americas. I'm, I'm convinced that it had... It was that strain. Well, that that so that lingering since the 15th century, you're saying. Yes, exactly. And, and still here, waiting for me. Well, well, I, I appreciate you soldiering through this. And, and oh, I'm glad to do it. I am a big fan. Well, we we talked about that a little bit, and you know, listeners, if you're if you want to uh, do the multimedia thing, go to alincolnbookshop.com or actually virtualbooksigning.net to get there directly. Uh, find the archived version of the book signing that Steve and I did last weekend. Put that on, but turn the sound down and listen to us, <laughs> and you'll see us. Our, it won't be synchronized with what we're saying, but you can imagine uh, the the event is happening here. And and I'm guessing we're better dressed on that show in our coats Indeed. and ties yeah. than you are right now. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. I am in my office, but not quite so resplendent. No, me neither. Well... Um, what did you think? Uh, let me just start with the, the book signing before we get to the book. Uh, that was a new event for me. What did you think of that? Uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of strange. I uh, I felt like we'd really just gotten started, uh, so we didn't get to that many questions. But I thought it was an intri- it was an intriguing format. I think it has a bright future. Really, it makes a lot of sense. There are more readers, hopefully. <laughs> You're talking about one of those book signs where you have two people showing up. I've, I've had that. But ideally, there are uh, more readers uh, per author. So it makes sense for us to be there actually and for them to be there virtually. That, that does make sense. Uh, at, at, on that Saturday, we, we occasionally, you and I, would look out to the in-store audience and comment mm-hmm. to them. Um, yeah. Without giving, I guess we're giving away the secret. There are only two people, I think. That's in the right. Store. One of them was my brother. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was not the point of it. The point was, we must have signed, uh, you know, two or three dozen books apiece. Yes, indeed. More than you do at a regular book signing office. Agreed. Uh, so, so, you know, a lot of people were out there watching in in internet land. That's right. And I think that might be the future of mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, I mean, publishing, traditional publishing has to adapt, and, and that was well, a very interesting way. It gave them an opportunity, too, to, you know, put some documents on the screen. They played a little of a CD of William Townsend, a sort of old Lexington Lincoln historian, so they can put on some audiovisuals, uh, you know, inside the book signing. So it has higher production values. It, and, and uh, yeah, absolutely, I think that gives a real advantage to it. Well, let's talk about the book that uh, that we talked about that day, sure. uh, your, your most recent book, uh, The House of Abraham, which uh, has has many virtues, and I'll I'll start with one that I can I can amply endorse without having actually read the whole thing, but our listeners will will want to know this. Um, it's not very long. <laughs> yes, people have commented on that. Um, I don't, you know, it. Uh, I guess at two hundred and what, two hundred and seventy-two, two hundred seventy-two pages. But without the notes, let's see, one, one ninety-two, without the notes. Um, you know, I believe in pith. I, I, I like, you know, a well-told story told efficiently without too much superfluous stuff. And I was trying to say something new about the most written-about man in America, which is difficult to do and if you confine yourself to that well then you're going to end up with a thin book so i think that's part of it but i but i also think there's a virtue to, uh in a book that doesn't ramble too much well i i think there is i i had uh Jacqueline Campbell on not too long ago who's written a book on uh, Sherman's march through the carolinas mm-hmm. after the march to the sea and it's under 200 pages text right and i think it takes a certain intellectual confidence in the current uh, you know, world that that we live in, to write a short book, uh, because the the tenure committees and the yeah. publishers are all looking for something that proves you're a historian by the, the thickness of its notes. Yeah, well, there's a great scene in the movie A River Runs Through It, where young Brad Pitt goes to his father, who's homeschooling him, uh, and with his essay, the father's a Presbyterian minister, so values efficiency and economy phrase and he says okay that's good now say everything you just said and do it half as long so little brad pitt runs off and makes it half again as long and comes back and the father says that's great now half again as long um and that's all so he can go off and go fishing but i i I really value i teach my students that too you know um you shouldn't have uh, a weak second sentence that's doing the work of the first um, adjectives are usually signs of weak nouns. Adverbs are signs of weak verbs. Uh, if you write clean, lean, mean, um, you can tell you can tell a good story. This isn't either a glorified essay made to book length. I have seen that happen. Yes, that does happen. Um, and that's not the case. I mean, here we have. No. I call it a, a sort of a saga writ small. It's like saga light. So I mean, you have a biography of a family. And um, and also of Lincoln's relationship with that family, but you get it all in 192 pages. And, and that is it was quite an achievement. I, I could not agree with you more about the the importance of writing short. Uh, you know, our students are trained in most classes to you know, write a five-page paper, a ten-page paper, a fifteen-page paper, and then they go out in the real world, and the boss wants a memo. That's right. And if you stretch it out to five pages, you're not doing a favor. You're right. wasting her time. Yeah. Uh, so. And I think academics would do well to sort of write leaner and leaner and meaner, uh, uh, less showing off and uh, more storytelling and getting to the point. Well, in terms of storytelling in, in House of Abraham, 
here we do have the most written about guy in American history. Um, what new do you have to tell us? Well, it's mostly about his relationship with the Todd family, which has been, you know, utterly ignored or to the extent that it's discussed at all. It's just a few uh, close sisters who live in Springfield uh, and are sort of a support network for Mary. The way I hit upon the story was I did my graduate work at UNC, and I was looking for love letters, which is the sort of documentary basis of my first book. Uh, And I came across these letters uh, between Elodie Todd, which is one of Mary's younger half-sisters, and Nathaniel Henry Rhodes Dawson, who was a Confederate captain. Now, Mary was appalled. She was, they were actually a close family, uh, even across the divide. So she was appalled that her half-sister would be marrying a Confederate captain and told her so. Now, that letter doesn't survive, but Elodie's letter, uh, which carried Mary's reprimand, that does survive, and it survives at UNC. So there were these marvelous love letters, and that's why they were important to me. But at the same time, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. We all know that there were families divided by the war, especially Kentucky families, Crittenden, Breckenridge, etc., the Clays. But here you've got a family that stretched between you know, Confederate trenches and the White House, and a family that was far closer, I think, to Lincoln than we'd allowed, reading Elodie's letter I certainly got a sense that she didn't agree with his politics. She was about to marry a Confederate and really wanted Kentucky to secede. So politically, she didn't agree with the Lincolns at all, but she was she considered herself quite close with them, loved them, and wouldn't allow anyone to abuse them or say bad things about Lincoln in her, in her presence. And it became a real problem for her, just the way it became Mary's ties to her uh, Confederate connections became a problem in Washington. Elodie's ties, she was in Selma, Alabama, sort of trapped there. Uh, she'd been visiting a sister. Uh, became that Her ties to the Union became a problem for her, too. And, and it was all of that together and the opportunity to say something about Lincoln's understanding of the Todds as sort of the nation and the war writ small. I thought it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. I think it's a wonderful conception. Um, how how far back do you begin the story? Well, as you say, it's a relatively short book, and I concentrate on what people probably want to hear about is the Todds during the war. Um, so I have a short chapter on um, the the kids as kids, what their childhood was like in Lexington, which may explain some of the uh, idiosyncratic qualities uh, to some of the family members. Um, and it's also a, a biography, really, of Lexington itself as sort of the cradle for these kids. And then there's a chapter that sees them scattered, symbolically, just like what's going on with the nation. You have these uh, north and south are drifting apart, but they don't really know the consequences for that drift. Well, the same thing happens to members of the Todd family. Four of the sisters, of course, including Mary Todd Lincoln, move to Springfield. Um, the eldest sister moves first, and she establishes uh, sort of an anchor point there, and then she invites another sister to come, and that sister meets someone and marries, and then she invites Mary to come, and of course she meets Abraham Lincoln and gets married. And so they're drifting, they don't even think they're drifting into the north from Kentucky, really. They think they're drifting a little further west. That's the way they would have understood Springfield. So they drift that way, and then other members uh, of the family, because Lexington is sort of a dying town in this period, uh, drift to take other opportunities. Some, uh, one of the sisters marries a guy 
who lives in Selma, Alabama, so that becomes a, one of the seats of the Southern Todds, and a couple of the boys moved to New Orleans, and they're just taking opportunities, uh, economic, marital opportunities, so they have no idea what the consequences of that drift is going to be. So that's that second section, but then the rest of the book is basically about what happened to these, uh, you know, these 14, <laughs> 14 Todds during the war. Well, that's a good place for us to take a short break. We'll sure. come back and find out about them during the war. Today we're talking with Stephen Barry, author of House of Abraham and All That Makes a Man. And we'll come back and talk more with him in just a minute on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 